It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's the Opposition Research Podcast on HawkeyeNation.com. And welcome to the first Opposition Research Podcast of 2021 here on HawkeyeNation.com. It's good to be back. Good to be back to game week. And what a game week it is. My name is Andrew Downs. Each week I will find a beat reporter, blogger, or broadcaster that covers Iowa's upcoming opponent. If you have a suggestion for who I should talk to in a given week, or if you have any questions you would like me to ask, you can find me on Twitter at Andrew C. Downs. And this week's game is the big one, right? It's it's Hoosiers, Michael Penix Jr. back in the mix. We'll talk to uh, we'll talk about that here coming up as we take a look at Iowa's uh, opponent. Obviously, both teams zero and zero. This is a two thirty kickoff Saturday at Phoenix Stadium. Expecting not quite a sellout crowd, but a uh, a jacked Kinnick crowd on Saturday afternoon. And let's get right into it. And my guest today is Zach Osterman from the Indianapolis Star. Zach, thank you for the time today. Hey, thanks for having me. You know, this is always the toughest game to preview because we haven't seen either team on the field yet, so we're just kind of going off of what coaches and players are saying, educated guesses, but we did learn yesterday that Michael Penix Jr. is ready to go for Saturday after suffering a torn ACL, a second torn ACL last season. So is the expectation that he will be the same player who burst onto the national scene a year ago? You know, I mean, I think Indiana is is very encouraged by what they've seen thus far. And we've seen snippets of it, you know, snippets of him in practice, even just videos of him throwing with teammates in the summer, throwing at the Manning Passing Academy. I think he looks smooth, confident. Obviously, you can never be 100% sure until you get him kind of out back in live goes. And he hasn't been involved in live tackling situations, not just because of his rehabilitation, but also because Indiana, like a lot of, schools doesn't live tackle quarterbacks in the preseason. Um, so, it, it, you know, it's, it's hard to sit here and say absolutely yes, but I, I certainly think that there is a level of confidence in IU's football facility, not just that Michael Penix is healthy, but that he is back to, you know, something resembling the kind of the most optimized version of himself. We, we know about Penix here, obviously. We, we know about Big Ten Receiver of the Year, Ty Freifogel. Who else should Iowa fans be focused on when the Hoosiers have the ball? That's kind of an interesting question because I think you, you have a mix of, you know, sort of up-and-coming players that maybe might have a little bit more of a platform to perform this year and either new faces or, or guys that might have a little bit of something to prove, right? You know, DJ Matthews is a slot receiver transfer from Florida State that really seems to have slid into Watt Fillier's spot uh, really well and really smoothly. Um, 
you know, the, the at tight end, Indiana's got a couple pieces, but the, the big one is Peyton Hendershot, who had set some program single-season records two years ago and then really saw his drop rates go up and his usage decline last year. It was kind of hard to tell how much of that was his performance, how much was maybe Indiana having to pare down his playbook because of COVID concerns and things like that. But I think there's there's a high degree of confidence within the offense, not least from Penix, that, that Hendershot is going to be more of a factor again this season. You know, the guy I also keep coming back to is Miles Marshall on the other side. He's a junior now. He's, you know, kind of – he's more or less kind of been on the same developmental arc Ty Freifogel was for a couple of years. And I'm not saying he's going to bust out and be Big Ten receiver of the year. I don't think he's necessarily quite as explosive as Freifogel. I, I certainly don't think he's quite as strong as Freifogel. But I do think he is the kind of player, if he's taken a step forward, as big of a step forward this offseason as he did last offseason, I think he's the kind of player that will give you some headaches when you feel like you've got to leave him in single coverage because of matchups elsewhere. And, and Michael Penix hasn't been afraid to use Marshall. And, and it's not just his, you know, his yards that have gone up and things like that. It's, you know, it's, it's yards per touch. It's yards per catch. It's, it's you know, catch rates and target rates and things like that. I think he's a player that kind of at the opposite side of it, the opposite boundary could be more of a factor for Indiana this season. How about the other side of the ball? Which players or maybe position groups stand out to you on Indiana's defense? Um, you know, I mean, it's a bit cliche to say everyone. <laughs> um, Indiana returns a lot at every level of its defense. I mean, you know, they've, they've lost a, a piece of defensive tackle in Jerome Johnson, but have a couple others back. They lost a, a really, really good safety in Jamar Johnson. But basically everywhere else in the secondary, you're talking about third and even fourth-year starters. And the guy that they're going to replace Jamar Johnson with is a guy that started for two years at corner before they moved him back to safety. And then he was out most of really all of last season with an injury, so we didn't really get to see him much there. But – my point is there's there's a lot of talent there. You've got All-Americans on that defense at linebacker, at corner. you got all Big Ten caliber players at corner, at safety. Um, and they've even added a couple of really intriguing transfers along that defensive line. That, that's maybe the one area where, you know, Indiana, I think, had a, just kind of a solid, you know, working man offensive line last season. Um, or defensive line, excuse me, last season. But I think that if there's kind of one area where, you know, the, this defense has a ton of room to get better quickly, even from where it, it was last year, where it was very good, very disruptive, produced a lot of big plays and turnovers, it's if all of a sudden kind of athletically the level of performance goes up a notch or two on that defensive line. And you've got a couple SEC transfers in particular at either end of the line, Ryder Anderson from Ole Miss and Jaron Handy from Auburn, who both really – have looked good when we've been able to see them in preseason. And I think maybe not necessarily going to be guys that are just huge game changers right away, but I wouldn't be surprised if at least one of them kind of plays his way from unknown to, you know, the, the phrase I've used is first page of the scouting report by the end of the season. So I think that line is maybe kind of the one area where, you know, as, as good as Indiana's defense was last season, if, if you're talking about kind of areas where there's still a lot of room for growth, that's, that's one. Well, looking at the scouting report for the Hawkeyes, then which kind of players or maybe schemes? What about this Iowa team in your mind presents a problem for Indiana this weekend? Well, 
you know, that the trick with Iowa is that you always feel like you're looking at the same thing. And yet if it was that simple, you know, it wouldn't work. Right. Um, and I think on, on the one hand, if you're Indiana, you know, the, the first game of the season is, is often a little floppy, is often a little bit, you know, just some, you know, maybe bad tackling, maybe just a little bit of a lack of game sharpness, no matter what you've been able to do in your preseason. You, you're, not, you're, not, you're not all the way there to 100% the way you are maybe week six, week seven. And Iowa, if Iowa's on its, you know, on point, is the kind of team that really exploits those sorts of, those sorts of mistakes and those sorts of slip-ups, especially offensively. But I think I'm more interested on the defensive side. If I'm not mistaken, and correct me if I'm wrong, Iowa's got pretty much its entire secondary back, yes. starting secondary back season. You obviously always expect Iowa to be really stout up the middle, to be really stout along its front four. And so you're talking about a quarterback that's going to be trying to knock some rust off, um, that if there is any you know sort of injury-related hesitation on his part that he's got to play through, um, you, know, you, you need to worry about that. And you're going to be facing an incredibly experienced secondary within the structure of a defense that, you know, annually is pretty sound, is pretty fundamental, is just kind of one of those you can count on to be right in the mix for, you know, top five, top six in the Big Ten and in kind of every major statistical category every year. I think if, if Michael Penix doesn't have a lot of trouble with that, then Indiana's got a good chance on Saturday. But I also can see a world where between Penix's rust and Iowa's experience, you know, Indiana's offense struggles a little bit. And, and at that point, you know, listen, we saw Indiana beat Penn State. Well, they, they beat him 34-28, but that was an overtime. It was, a, it was a defensive game most of the game. We saw them win 14-6 uh, at Wisconsin last season. We saw them shut out Michigan State at Michigan State. It's not like they can't, with this group of players, win a defense-based game. But I just think when you're on the road, Kinnick Stadium, fans back in, it's Iowa, it's the season opener, on and on and on. You know, if, if you can't get your offense sharp early, it could be a long day. And that's, you know, with, with as experienced as Iowa's going to be in pass defense, Indiana's got to, to hope and believe that it can kind of knock the rust off of Michael Penix quickly. You know, Iowa typically gets off to a bit of a slow start. We saw last year they started 0-2 uh, before rattling off six in a row there. It, it is rare for the Hawkeyes to have a ranked team in week one, let alone a conference game. So I know a lot of Iowa fans are a little wary uh, about having this big of a game, this important of a game, right out of the gate. Uh, how does Indiana feel about that? Maybe how do the fans feel about that? Is, is this good for Indiana to have this big game uh, in week one? I certainly think they, they, they want to play it that way, you know, and they want that, that sense of urgency and that edge. I think, you know, I think that the way Tom Allen's kind of played it up is basically there's been no complacency this off season because whatever happened last year, you know, you're, you're going straight into the deep end this year, Iowa week one, Cincinnati week three, Penn state week five. Um, there's just, you know, the, the, this schedule is, I mean, Indiana schedule is often tough and, in the Big Ten East, but it's particularly front-loaded this year. Obviously, no one could have seen, could have foreseen what Cincinnati was, you know, going to be when they put the game on the schedule years ago. So, I think, you know, it, it that's been brought up. Iowa slow starts, not by Tom Allen. No one, you know, no one in the facilities brought that up. But I know IU fans have kind of pointed that out. And I think that's that's fair to a point. You know, I, it's always sort of felt like Iowa was kind of the sort of the program that that. Part of the success of it was that they could start slow, but they were just so consistent 
that his team started to maybe show weaknesses or lose players to injuries, things like that. Iowa could just sort of maintain that, you know, that, that straight and steady approach that war kind of war on opponents. The seasons wore on. I don't know if that's an advantage for Indiana on Saturday or not, because again, I think you're also going to be talking about a really emotional environment with fans back in the stadium for the first time in a couple years. I think Indiana wants it to be good. You know, it, it, it wants it to be an advantage. It's obviously going to be a lot more of one if they win than if they lose. And I think that, you know, people have asked me, what is the biggest game on Indiana's schedule in my mind? And I, I really think it's, it's Iowa. And it's because I saw what a strong start did for this team last year. You know, the, the, the last second win against Penn State or the overtime win against Penn State. Then they went to Rutgers. They were a little sloppy early, but they got control of that game and won it comfortably in the end. And all of a sudden, you know, you kind of got the sense that it was a group that felt like it was on a journey. You know, all of a sudden, they, were, they, they weren't Indiana football. They weren't this upstart team. They'd beaten a top-10 team at home. You know, they were taking care of business against the teams they're supposed to beat on the road. Then they come home and beat Michigan, and all of a sudden, it's like, hey, this is, you know, Indiana football sort of arrived a little bit. The, the last four or five years, even maybe 10 years of program building are paying off, and, and these are the results. If Indiana loses to Iowa – you know, all of a sudden, obviously, you can come home and beat Idaho, but then you have a tough one against Cincinnati. You got a bit of a tricky game at Western Kentucky. Then you go to Penn State. You know, you can play well in those first five weeks and still wind up two and three. On the other hand, if Indiana beats Iowa and then maybe comes home and, and or at least, let's say, beats Western Kentucky, navigates that challenge well, and then splits Cincinnati and Penn State, then Indiana's got a really good chance to be five and one when Ohio State comes to town in mid October. And you get to kind of tell yourself, Indiana, that story a little bit again of not necessarily that they're a playoff team, they're going to win the Big Ten or whatever, but that like, hey, you know, it's it's we are kind of masters of our own destiny here. Um, you know, all the buy-in, all the stuff that we've sacrificed, all the all the stuff that was difficult, or all the time somebody said, "Why are you going to Indiana?" or "Why are you sticking with this?" or whatever. It's all paying off now, and I think that that. That momentum carried Indiana at times last season. I don't want to take away from what they, you know, what they were X's and O's wise and, and skills wise as a team, but that momentum was definitely part of it. And if they could get it again with fans in the stands at Memorial Stadium, a place that obviously isn't normally a difficult place for teams to come and play, but could be this year if Indiana gets off to a strong start. I just think that kind of the it's not all or nothing. It's not like the season is a disaster if they lose their opener at Iowa. Nobody's thinking that, but I just think the benefits of a win versus the challenges that a loss might throw up because this schedule is so front loaded could be kind of tricky for Indiana. You know, it's so interesting to hear you talk about that because here in Iowa, obviously the focus is get through this game and then you've got Iowa state on the schedule right away. And, and typically that's a game that Iowa fans feel very good about, but as I'm sure, you know, Iowa state's a top 10 team this year. You're, you're going two aims if you're Iowa. And so there's a lot of that same feeling of it does the, the season's not a disaster if you lose to Indiana, but man, it would be nice to get that one in the books. And then that way, if you split the first two or something like that, it's, it's not nearly as bad. You know, Zach, I, this is my third season of uh, of doing these podcasts, and I realized I've never talked to somebody about Indiana because these teams haven't played since 2018. Before that, it was 2015. So, uh, you know, part of this weird Big Ten, it's not not a lot to get either fan base fired up from a rivalry standpoint. Uh, but but overall, what's your sense of kind of what Indiana fans think of Iowa's football program and and 
whether or not that, I mean, obviously this isn't a big rivalry, but how, how do Indiana fans view this Iowa program? I mean, I, I think there's, you know, I, I think actually quietly there is kind of not rivalry, but I think that there's obviously respect for what Iowa's done. I think Indiana fans would look at Iowa, and obviously Iowa historically has more success than IU football, but probably from a, you know, sort of a, a resources and recruiting footprint perspective, Indiana's never going to do it exactly the way Iowa does it, but I think Indiana might look at an Iowa, look at a Kirk Ferentz and say, hey, could we have something like that? You know, could, could, we, could we have something – you know, that, that sort of resembles that in terms of just the consistency of the program, the ability to basically build a culture and a system to where you say, if we need to fill a spot in a recruiting class, we know exactly what we're looking for at X position. If we need to hire an assistant coach, we have this, this blueprint, this tried and true blueprint. We know exactly what we're looking for here. Most years, the baseline is six, seven wins, and then you work upward from there. There is the occasional season where, you, you know, everything kind of goes wrong and you go four and eight. But more often than not, you're not just making bowl games, but you're one of the, the serious teams in the Big Ten annual. I think Indiana fans probably respect Iowa that way and, and probably sort of hope they can have that at some point. I think the other thing, interestingly, is, is in, you know, listen, this, is, this can be a little bit selective because I'm not trying to be flippant, but it's not like Indiana's got a ton of hugely momentous wins in its, in its football history. But it has posted some big ones in the past against Iowa, um, at least in terms of what it meant to Indiana. You know, Terry Hepner's kind of first signature win in Indiana was the home upset of Iowa when Drew Tate was quarterback, even going back to uh, 1979 when Indiana made the Holiday Bowl, which was the first time it made a bowl other than its one Rose Bowl appearance and first time it ever won a bowl game. Um, they opened the season at Iowa. They were down, I think, like 23 points at halftime and came back and won. Um, and that was a you know that was a game that that really sort of kick started that season, and again it ended with them upsetting a top ten team in the Holiday Bowl. So it, it's it's not like Indiana's got you know a, an enormous amount of uh, momentous wins against anybody, frankly, other than I guess maybe Purdue, obviously just because it's a rivalry game um, that they can point to. But there have been some moments in Indiana's past where beating Iowa and and seizing on kind of that that opportunity is as difficult as it, as it is has kind of turned out to be something that kickstarted a little bit, you know, a little bit of success for Indiana. Obviously now they're really more in kind of a period of success. They've been to four bowls in six years and, um, you know, they're investing more into and getting more out of football than they have in a long, long time. But I think still, I think Indiana fans have a healthy respect for the challenge ahead of them this weekend. I I don't think many would be surprised if they lost, you know I mean? I think right. Other than maybe Indiana going out to Kinnick and just getting wiped off the field, you know, 41 to 20, something like that. I don't think Indiana fans would be terribly upset if they lost this game. I think that's the respect for Iowa as a program. Um, but I also think that a lot of them see it as, you know, at least as, as much as fans, you know, think this way, an opportunity. Because if, if you know, if, if Indiana wins this game, it's maybe the loudest statement anybody can make in week one. I guess Penn State winning, winning at Wisconsin is up there too. But, you know, if, if Indiana were to win this game, then I think there would, you know, kind of the national perception of maybe last season just being an everything went right, lived a charmed life, sort of, you know, one-year Cinderella story would kind of get reversed a little bit and people would start to look at IU and say, well, maybe this is just a good, serious football team now. He is Zach Osterman. You can follow him on Twitter at Zach Osterman and follow his work in the Indianapolis Star. Zach, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it.
Absolutely. Thanks for having me, as always. All right, that's interesting. Uh, it's going to be a heck of a game. It feels like both fan bases, maybe both programs, are kind of looking at it the same way. It'd be a huge boost to win, not a devastating loss, but uh, it, it can compound very quickly if you do lose this game. Obviously, a, a lot of what we look at will be Spencer Petras and how he looks, uh, how this defense comes together, how this offensive line begins to gel, and uh, and really just what this team looks at looks like, and and what we can all expect as we head into. What feels like a pretty important 2021 football season. Thank you so much for listening. We're going to have a lot more coverage, obviously, leading up to this game. And then I'll have my uh, post-game instant reaction podcast as soon as the game ends Saturday afternoon. Check out all the work we got going on. HawkeyeNation.com. Follow us on Twitter, at HawkeyeNation. I like to tweet during the games and interact with people that way as well. And you can always get at me, at Andrew C. Downs. Thank you so much for listening. Go Hawks. <laughs>